This reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting at verse 18 to 25. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but is the power of God to us who are being saved. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will set aside the intelligence of the intelligent. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the debater of this age? Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolish? For since in God's wisdom, the world did not know God through wisdom, God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of what is preached. For the Jews ask for signs and the Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Yet to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God, because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Well, it is great to be with you this morning. My name is Isaac. I'm one of the ministers here at our church. It is wonderful to see so many new faces, so many uh, faces that are familiar as well from all of our different services coming and to meet here for Good Friday. Uh, I hope it'll be a wonderful time as we look at the cross of Jesus, not only the, the gruesome, the ugliness of it, but the beauty of it. That's where we're heading to today. Uh, now, I never thought I would start a sermon with some lyrics from a Tim Minchin song, but here we go. Uh, they're going to come up on the screen there. Hopefully you can read it. Uh, this song, it's called Beautiful Ugly. You'll see where I'm going with it. He says, nothing's as sweet as the way that you treat me when everything is going all right. But when you're tired and grumpy or overly hungry, man, it ain't a pretty sight. What I'm trying to say in every single way, I think you're beautiful, but not when we're having a fight. You're beautiful in certain types of lights. And honestly, I think you're fine. I mean, you're beautiful about 84% of the time. <laughs> but every now and then, I take a photo of you. You look a bit like a little fish. You are beautiful-ish. <laughs> He's got a way with words, doesn't he? Uh, such a lighthearted way of just saying, look, somebody can be beautiful, but also kind of a little bit ugly at times as well. In the one person both ugliness and beauty, and that's what we're looking at today. I think for a lot of us here, maybe even today with us, uh, the cross, it just looks a bit perplexing. It looks a bit ugly. It looks a bit gruesome. It doesn't make much sense, but I hope we see it as a beautiful thing. I hope we see God's beauty and God's wisdom at the cross. Maybe for you today, uh, you look at the cross and you're just not sure. You have questions. Maybe you think, oh, it's only people who kind of like to believe in fairy tales that might go along with that story. But I do hope that today might be an encouragement for us all as we look back at what God has done through Christ all those many years ago. Our first point for today, that apparent foolishness of the cross. See, in 1 Corinthians, we're told pretty upfront that the cross is foolish to many people. You can see that there in verse 18, if you're following along, that Actually, the majority of the world will look at the cross and think that's stupid. That's idiotic. You know, the word that's in this passage, morose, that's actually where we get the word moron. Somebody has kind of used that word and brought it into English. So the cross, it seems moronic. 
to many people. And we see this, don't we, in, in the world that we're in. And maybe for you today, that's kind of what you think about the cross. And it's wonderful to have you here with us. Wonderful that you're open to come and to hear this message yet again. And my hope is that God might work in us over time to look at this cross and to see it differently. I think for a lot of us here, many years ago, we looked at the cross and it seemed ridiculous. It seemed perplexing, confusing, but a change has taken place in how we've looked at it. So whether it's the first time you're ever hearing about Jesus, his death on the cross, or the 50th, uh, what a great encouragement that you're here with us today. As that passage was read out, the narrative of Jesus' death, I wonder, what was your gut instinct like? This man, who many follow as the Lord of the universe, he was tied up. He was betrayed, sold for 30 small pieces of silver. This king of kings stripped bare. He was mocked. He was spat at. People laughed at the idea of this man claiming to be the king of the Jews. He was given this crown of thorns placed on his head and pressed into his skull. This man, he was led up the mountain and treated as a criminal until the soldiers, they pierced his hands and his feet. They hung him up as a criminal to death. And it makes you think, what sort of man, what sort of leader would die like this? Even when he was in the right. What sort of man would give himself up to death even when he had not done anything that deserved it? And if you were just to look at this passage by itself, you might be justified in thinking, wow, Jesus looks weak. He looks passive. For many of Jesus' closest friends and his most devoted followers, they looked at this death of Jesus on the cross and all hope was lost. Their hope in this guy who had done miracles and taught them and who seemed to be the Messiah, their hope was lost in that moment. Verse 23, you can see that for many Jews, the cross, it has become a stumbling block to them. Many of the Jews couldn't make sense of this event. They thought, Jesus, look, he'd done all these miracles. He taught them with such authority. How could he die? Their hope seemed to be lost. They thought this king would bring peace and rule to this world. What's going on? So when Jesus was crucified, their hopes were dashed. He seemed defeated in that moment, didn't he? But not only that, they would have thought, Jesus, he's not only not the Messiah, but he's cursed by God. See, for a Jewish person uh, in the Old Testament, it talks about many times, if somebody was hung up on the cross, that actually they were cursed by God. Deuteronomy 21 is an example where it says, a hanged man is cursed by God. So they would have looked at Jesus and thought, he's definitely not the Messiah, definitely not the king we're waiting for. He's cursed by God. And for you today, you might see the cross of Jesus as a foolish thing. You might think he's defeated. Or how could he possibly achieve anything through a death like that? It probably just seems brutal or illogical if you've never had it explained or or thought about it for much time. But what I want us to consider today is that what looks like weakness on the cross is actually God's strength in Christ to bring salvation to this world. It might seem foolish, but it's the wisdom of God for us. 
there was a book that I've read uh, a few years ago that really helped to bring out this idea that Jesus, uh, he died not out of foolishness, but out of God's wisdom for us. Uh, you can see there, hopefully you can read it, Richard Schumach. I don't know if he's related to me. <laughs> I do need to check this out. I'll ask mum a bit later, see if she knows any long lost cousins. He's in Sydney. Um, and this guy, he's a Christian, but have a look at the title of his book. The Wisdom of Islam and the Foolishness of Christianity. See, he, talk, he talks about how Islam, it fits and it makes sense on the surface level. You, you hear about claims that Islam makes and it's quite reasonable and logical and it fits together. For example, he makes the claim, oh sorry, I'll, I'll get to a few claims in a moment, but in this book, uh, Richard, he basically says that all religions, including Islam, actually resonate with us because they come from man-made sources. So he's a Christian um, guy and he says, look, Islam might make great sense to us and fit with how we perceive of the world, but because it is from man. So an example, I'll flesh out a couple of examples here for us today. The idea of God, Christianity versus uh, or compared to Islam. Uh, in Christianity, we have the idea of God as triune, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Whereas in Islam, God is one. And on the surface, this seems robust. It seems wise and logical. And yet Christianity, when understood by those whom God reveals himself to, Christianity and what God says about himself as God becomes wise and becomes beautiful. For example, with the triune God, which is revealed in the pages of God's word, we see that God has always been relational. God has always loved. Love is eternal. Relationships, eternal in the Godhead. So that's one example that on the surface it looks foolish to claim that God is the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. And yet there's such beauty and richness there. Another example that he fleshes out in this book is in terms of the way of salvation. So he, he outlines how, you might be familiar with this, in Islam, um, a really key part of that religion is the five pillars of Islam. You know, it's clear, it's simple, and it's memorable. If you fulfill the five pillars of Islam, then paradise awaits. And yet, we start to question, how does it really work? How, how does it deal with our sin? And what's really going on there? And, well, okay, Okay, how much do I actually have to follow these pillars? Uh, at what point does the, the scale tip and I'm allowed to enter paradise? But does Christianity actually have a better story? Does it have a better way of salvation? We've seen how when we look at the cross it looks foolish, but does it actually have a beauty to it, a wisdom to it? Well, that's what we're going to be focusing on for the rest of today. Uh, this is our, our last point, point two there. The cross, the power and wisdom of God. In verse 24, we hear that those called by God will see the cross as his power and his wisdom. See, God works in this upside down kind of way. God, he could have revealed himself in Jesus as this warrior king with full armor and power, yet he chose to come in weakness, in humility, and to die on the cross. See, what we'll think about now is how the cross of Jesus can be seen in this positive light. 
And the passage itself actually gives us a few reasons why we would want to say the cross is a beautiful thing. Uh, Today we're going to spend three uh, ways that we'll see it, that the cross is a beautiful thing. There's a logical argument, an argument from the Old Testament, and an argument from the New Testament. So firstly, we can start to see that the cross is a beautiful thing only if God helps us see it this way. So the passage says that, look, it's only if God actually calls people. It's only if God actually works in them to see the cross as beautiful. Verse 18, it says that for us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So to some, the message of the cross only looks ugly and foolish, but to others, there's a beauty to it. And notice who it's talking about there. It's not those who work hard enough or those who do the right thing, those who are self-righteous, but it's those who are being saved by God. Ultimately, it's God's work in us. It's up to God. The passage, it helps us see the logical problem if we're to find God by our own wisdom. I wonder if you've ever thought about this, that um, could somebody discover God? But in this passage, it talks about, in verse 21, since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what was preached to save those who believe. So basically what it's saying there is that there's a problem if we can somehow find God. There's a problem with that, right? If through our intellect or reason, through science, that we could somehow discover God and the way of salvation. No, it's God who has done all the work. Now, we're the foolish ones in this scenario. Now, he needed to make it clear to us, and he has revealed himself to us, this way of forgiveness. He revealed this message over thousands of years, over many people, through the prophets, through his word, and through Jesus. He came down to us to make it clear to us. And the drama of the cross is the way in which a story uh, no person could come up with This story of Jesus as God who would die, that this story is actually the way of forgiveness. See, it's not the kind of thing that a debater would come up with, right? Or a wise person or someone who just thought about what would be a a smart way to find salvation with a holy God. See, what looked foolish has been flipped on its head, revealing God's wisdom. But even more than that, if you start to think logically about how you might be forgiven by a holy God... The other solutions, they seem to be more and more problematic. That As you actually spend time looking at the cross, you start to see some of God's character. You start to see his justice and his mercy. See, what other solution could there be before a holy God for our sin, for our rebellion of such a holy God? How can he remain just and caring about all the atrocities that go on in this world? And how can he also remain merciful and gracious? At the cross, sin is fully punished. It's not just swept under the carpet. We read today how Jesus felt the full wrath of God on his shoulders. So it wasn't just the physical suffering that he went through. He went through the wrath of God, the anger of God on him. We see this justice of God played out. But we also see the grace of God, that out of his love, Jesus has done this and the Father has sent his Son for us, so that we don't have to go through that punishment. The cross is glorious. It's the only way that we can be forgiven before a holy God. Each of us have rebelled against God. 
I wonder if you're convinced of that even today. And God, he is right to punish us in the way that he chooses. See, if anyone were to somehow pay for uh, punishment, which that we deserve, it would have to be extraordinary. So if, if there was somebody who could say, yes, I'll, I'll die in your place, Isaac, that would be an extraordinary person. And as a human, look, it would be one-to-one, one, and that would be the best that you could hope for. But one person couldn't die for all of humanity, could they? There is something significant, significant about Jesus, and the fact that he is not just man, but God in the flesh. His death, his incredible worth, is large enough that he can actually forgive each one of us, any who would trust in him. The identity of Jesus is key in all of this. While all of humanity have gone against this most worthy being, this God of eternity, uh, we can be forgiven if we place our trust in Jesus. If we simply trust that he's died for us and we follow him. Jesus, the Father, they treat us as forgiven. They treat us as his children, as those he loves. And we can approach God as our Father in prayer. And we can hold on to the hope of not just this life having a restored relationship, but of life to come, where we'll see God face to face in this new restored relationship. So in this second point, we've been looking at how the cross is beautiful. We've looked at some of the logical claims made in this passage. We'll look at the Old Testament as well, what it says. Now we can see this in verse 19 of the passage Paul, he explains how the cross is the power of God by using a quote from the Old Testament. You might have noticed it there. He quotes from the book of Isaiah. And he says that God would reject the wisdom of the wise. But if we look at this quote, it actually brings a real depth and richness to this passage. So Isaiah 29 verse 14 is where it comes from. And Isaiah, he writes about the people of God in the Old Testament called Israel these select group of people that were God's precious people. But these Israelites, at this time in history, they were trusting in themselves rather than in the plans of God, trusting in their own wisdom rather than the wisdom of God. And look, if you're unfamiliar with Israel's history, that's okay. Uh, all we need to understand here is that at this time, there were leaders in Israel, uh, these leaders who decided that they would come up with their own plan, they said that they would go and align with Egypt, and they did that. Even after God clearly said, don't go to Egypt, they looked for safety in this neighbor of theirs. They trusted in their own wisdom for this plan rather than in the plans of God. But this alliance with Egypt, actually, it, it sparks this controversy with Syria, and it doesn't go well for Israel. Actually, Syria come, uh, and it doesn't work for them. So here's how God rebukes these people for trusting in their own plans. We can see this part in Isaiah come up on the screen there. God rebukes uh, these people and he says, Ah, stubborn children, declares the Lord, who carry out a plan but not mine, who make an alliance but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin, who set out to go down to Egypt without asking for my direction, to take refuge in the protection of Pharaoh and to seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. Therefore... Shall the protection of Pharaoh turn to your shame and the shelter in the shadow of Egypt 
to your humiliation. I think we can learn from Israel's history here, how they went after their own plan against God. They trusted their own wisdom and they were ultimately humbled. And I think that actually resonates with a lot of us here. Over the past few years, a lot of us, our self-reliance has been shattered. I think with COVID, with all of these changes out of our control, I don't know about you, but I've often felt pretty powerless. I was at the mercy of others making decisions for me. I was so limited in the control I really have in my life. And if we're honest with ourselves, we've had to relent and admit that we can't keep holding the fort. We, we aren't ultimately in control of our lives. We can't just rely on our wisdom, on our intellect, our reason and our plans. Uh, during the week, I, I got to have a chat with somebody who uh, displayed this thought to me really uh, wonderfully. It was a great encouragement. Um, a lady called Lenore. A lot of you will know there. There's a picture of her. Uh, on Sunday, if you come along, you'll see a video of her sharing this story in a bit more depth. Uh, she shared about how uh, she had this great grit and trust in God, even in the midst of severe trials. She talked about her struggles. Over the last few years, there was uh, quite a few um, events of suffering that she was going through, but particularly uh, intense stroke that she went through, which meant that she couldn't actually speak at all. She could still think and hear what was happening in a room, but she had to go right back to square one and learn the alphabet again, learn words again. She had to remember and, and often found herself in conversations struggling to find a word. But it was quite incredible to see her faith remain in all of that as she felt this acutely that she was not in control and that she was limited and that her plans don't always go, um, don't always work out. It was amazing to hear that her faith was actually strengthened in all of this, that she was able to hold on even more tightly to God as the one truly in control. And I think a lot of us, we've been through some trials in the last few years, uh, all kinds of massive jolts to our own self-reliance. And I think we need to remember that we can't keep trusting just in our own plans. So what a message 1 Corinthians 1 is, that our status isn't found in our wisdom, in our intellect, in our ability to come up with a good plan, but in the cross of Christ. So if we embrace the cross, that'll actually mean dying to our own selves, dying to our own self-reliance, our own wisdom, and trusting in God, trusting that he's got it sorted, that he is wiser than we are. And he promises that if we trust in him and his wisdom, that we can enter new life with him. And we can have this sure hope of resurrection life. Uh, on to our last point, uh, sub-point today, about how the New Testament uh, is used here to show that the cross is wise and the cross is beautiful and the power of God. See, the resurrection of Jesus is a historical fact we we read about it in god's word the way that jesus showed himself to many many witnesses and we need to keep this in mind as we think about the death of christ we can't leave good friday simply with jesus uh, dead and in the grave it only makes sense as we remember the empty tomb 
Uh, there's an image I think that will come up there uh, that somebody on our team has put together that you would have seen plastered all over the place. We remember this at Easter time, the risen king who showed that his cross can be trusted. And Paul, he, he subtly refers to this fact that Jesus is risen. Verse 20, Paul, he asks, where are the wise people? Where are the experts? Where are the debaters? Where are the scribes? All those people who would have been skeptical of Jesus, right? All those people who would have said, ah, oh, is he really going to die for this this people? Is he really going to come back to life? Paul says, where are they now? Where are they now? Jesus is risen. We've seen him. Jesus, he showed himself to over 500 witnesses. <laughs> where are they now? And the cross, it marks the death of these other forms of wisdom, these secular authorities, uh, these religious authorities as well, the scribes and the experts all human wisdom is just relativized, and we're shown the wisdom of God in the gospel of Jesus. Now, as we come to the close of this morning, I want us to cast our minds back to that original song that we started with, Tim Minchin's song, which showed how you can find beauty and ugliness in the one person. And I think that rings true with Jesus, that we see the gruesomeness of his death the ugliness of this man who was punished on our behalf. But I hope you've seen today, I hope you've taken steps even today in seeing the cross as a beautiful reality for our benefit, not because we deserve it, but out of God's grace. Uh, let's finish now in prayer. I'd love to pray together. Our dear Lord God Almighty, we recognise that we have all come against you, we have all sinned against you. Oh Lord, we thank you that you are a gracious God. We thank you that you have come and you've revealed yourselves to us, that you have brought your wisdom and your power to us in Christ, in his death and his, in his resurrection for us. Thank you that we can trust in him, knowing that our eternity doesn't rely on our shoulders, on what we do but we can trust in what you've done through Jesus. Lord, we thank you for Good Friday as we remember the way that you gave up your only son and the way that Jesus, he willingly went to the cross for our sake and that we can be forgiven through this. Our Lord, we pray that this weekend we would remember this, that we would give you great rejoicing and praise this weekend as we remember the risen Christ who in his life we, we are given life as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.